Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Why? Why, Tanner? My only child. Why? If anybody, anybody knows anything, like, like you might think that it's nothing, but it, it might be something grand to the eye hit, and it might be, you know, something that could just blow this case right open. Please, please, if you know anything, just call eye hit. In the early morning hours of Sunday, August 20th, 2017, the body of a young man was found in a laneway in Surrey, British Columbia. The local RCMP, who are used to escalating gang violence in the area, were immediately perplexed as to the ID of the 19-year-old. He was not known to police. He was not even from British Columbia. 1,100 kilometers away in Edmonton, Alberta, a family and a mother were about to receive the most devastating news possible. Their son, brother, and friend had tragically lost his life in the darkness of that summer night. But why? Why him? And more importantly, who did this? This is the unsolved murder of Tanner Krupa, and this is True North True Crime. and welcome to episode 27 of True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. We have a few announcements we want to share with you. First, we are happy to announce that we have partnered with Acast as our new hosting site. We will be phasing out of our relationship with Podbean and moving on to this new opportunity. You will, of course, still be able to find us on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, secondly, some of you may have noticed that we haven't been releasing TNTC Shorts episodes as frequently. This is because we have decided to put a pause on them for the time being. The scope and the work that we are doing now in our full episodes has grown. We are doing a lot more investigative work, interviews, and uh, that kind of thing for our main episodes. As such, the TNTC Shorts episodes were adding to an increasing workload. 
Uh, we will be doing update episodes when we can, and we still love the idea of TNTC Shorts. But for now, we are just going to focus on our bi-weekly episodes of True North True Crime. As usual, we thank you all for joining us on this podcast journey. Lastly, we have some exciting and slightly embarrassing news. It was brought to our attention that listeners were having issues donating to the podcast by credit card through Buy Me A Coffee, and it turns out that we didn't have credit cards enabled on our Buy Me A Coffee fund, so we have fixed that now. If you would like to donate to the podcast with a credit card, or if you tried and were unsuccessful in the past, we are happy to say it is now fixed. As usual, we want to thank some folks for buying us a coffee this week for this week's episode. A huge thank you to Van City Jilly, Terry Towner, Rena GM, Sue Helm, Jesse Dwayne Ryan, Gladys M, Mari McKay, Sparky, Keith Robertson, an anonymous donor, Viju Muzipu, and Katie Lizick. True North True Crime is a self-funded and independent podcast that brings awareness to missing people and victims of violent crime in Canada. If you would like to donate to the podcast, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. It can be a one-time donation, or you can become an honorary producer of the podcast by choosing the $5 a month member option. Keith Robertson and Mari McKay are now honorary producers of the podcast, and we welcome them aboard the TNTC team. And as always, you can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at tntcpod or on our Facebook page at True North True Crime. Tonight's episode was actually sent in by a listener who connected with us on Instagram. The listener is a close friend of the family and hoped that we might be able to help with their recent awareness campaign. We put this episode together using publicly available news articles. We also spoke at length with members of Tanner's family, as well as friends and people who are close to this case. We have conducted hours of interviews for this episode, as well as uncovered some information that we hope will be valuable to the investigation. We actually feel that this story will eventually be a multi-episode endeavor, but for now, we will present what we can today. We encourage you to visit the website whathappentotanner.com, which features a beautiful documentary about his life and the questions surrounding his death. Our episode today features some audio clips from this film. We did reach out to iHit Media spokesperson Sergeant Frank Jang for a comment on this investigation. He let us know that Tanner's case was the first that he spoke to as the iHit spokesperson, and that this case and the Krupa family are near and dear to his heart. However, he was unable to comment further about this case. We also learned that Sergeant Jang has moved on to a new role within the RCMP and will no longer be the iHit spokesperson. Sergeant Jang has been an amazing and empathetic advocate for victims of violent crimes. We will miss seeing him at the podium and we wish him well in his new role. We hope to have him on for a guest spot on the show at some point in the near future. We are grateful for everyone who helped us put this episode together and for trusting us with Tanner's story. We hope that justice will come soon. Breaking news now in connection with a suspicious death in Surrey over the weekend. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team identifies the victim as a 19-year-old Edmonton man. Ramina Day is live at RCMP headquarters with more on the investigation and what we know. Ramina? Chris, we don't have a ton of detail about this individual, but we can tell you that he is 19. As you just mentioned, his name is Tanner Krupa. 
of Edmonton, Alberta. Surrey RCMP first responded to a report of an altercation in Surrey early Sunday morning at around 5 a.m. And that's when they found Krupa's body in a back alley. IHIT is not releasing the cause of death at this point. Krupa, they say, had moved to B.C. recently for work, but IHIT is not saying where he was employed. He was not known to police. The motive, still a mystery tonight. So it is very early in the the very early stages of the investigation and we are not certain if it was targeted but that is one of the priorities of our investigators but in order to piece together what happened to mr krupa we are asking that anyone with information anyone that was in the area at that time to come forward and speak with one of our investigators and in particular the friends the co-workers that knew mr krupa now, homicide investigators are still trying to track Krupa's movements before he died. That's why they say that it's crucial that people come forward with information. All right. So you just heard a clip from a global news segment with uh, Chris Galas and Rumina Dea, as well as Sergeant Frank Jang. So tonight, you might have guessed we are talking about the unsolved murder of 19-year-old Tanner Krupa. Tanner's body was found in Surrey, British Columbia, in the early morning hours of August 20th, 2017. If you have any information about the death of Tanner Krupa, we ask that you call IHIT or, to remain anonymous, please call Crime Stoppers. We need to state that this is an ongoing investigation. We have been given a lot of information which may be sensitive to the investigation. So there are some details and names that we are not going to talk about. We will tell this story in its entirety to the best of our abilities, but we will not jeopardize the investigation in any way. Tanner Thomas Terry Krupa was born on August 14, 1998. His mother Kim and his dad Mike have been married for 26 years. Mike came into the relationship with two daughters, Randy and Brittany, who were two and three at that time. So Tanner grew up being the youngest son in the family with two older sisters. Tanner went to St. Angela Catholic School and then on to Sir John Thompson Middle School and then to Archbishop O'Leary High School, where he graduated in 2016. Tanner was a super athletic guy. At age five, he started playing soccer. Then he got big into hockey, where he played as a goalie. That took him into specialized hockey academies, and in his late teens, he got into weightlifting and fitness. He got very big, muscular, and went on to lift at a competitive level. We have seen photos of Tanner, and he's ripped. His sister Randy told us that even though he was the younger brother, he often acted like an older brother or a big brother, and he was lovingly protective of his two sisters. As a person, he was pretty amazing. Uh, He has a massive group of caring friends who speak incredibly highly of Tanner and his kindness. His mom, Kim, says she can't even describe how amazing he was. He was generous and would always give the shirt off his back. Tanner was always housing stray kids when he was a teen and people that were having family issues at home. Tanner always had people staying at Kim's house at any time because he was always trying to help people that were going through a tough time. Here is a clip of one of Tanner's many friends describing Tanner. Tanner was a one-of-a-kind kind of guy. He, uh, you know, he had this, uh, he had this glow to him that you couldn't really see on nobody else and uh just someone just so full of life you know always so positive always had a very positive outlook on everything whether it be something you know negative going on he always had a he always had a solution on how to make things better so eventually tanner started working as a directional driller 
There are photos of Tanner in his hard hat working a job in northeastern British Columbia in July of 2016. In the summer of 2017, Tanner was offered a contract with a company that was laying fiber optic cable in Abbotsford, British Columbia. The employee who had been driving the rig had his license suspended from an impaired charge, so Tanner was offered the position. He jumped at the opportunity. What young person wouldn't want to get paid to go to a new city and make some cash? On this contract, Tanner would work 10 days on and 7 days off. This is what is called a hit. The company had rented a house in the Newton area of Surrey, British Columbia, that they used for employees working on the fiber optic project. This house, located on the 1300 block of 66A Avenue in Surrey, is where Tanner would stay during his hits. Then, he would return to Edmonton when his hit was up. Tanner had also enrolled in a program to become a fitness instructor. The summer of 2017 was going to be his last contract drilling, and he was set to start school in September of 2017. But that day, sadly, would not come. We need to talk a little about Surrey before we move on with this story. Surrey is located to the southeast of Vancouver. For many years, Surrey was considered a suburb municipality of Vancouver, but it became its own city in 1993. With a population of over half a million people, Surrey sits on the traditional territories of the Semiamu, Kutsi, and Kwantlen First Nations. While Surrey boasts some beautiful residential neighborhoods, it also has a pretty bad reputation for violence and gang activity. Surrey averages about 15 murders a year. Surrey also has a major gang problem. There has been an ongoing turf war in Surrey for as long as I can remember, and it just keeps going. There are weekly shootings and assaults in Surrey related to the drug trade. Unrelated to the drug trade, Surrey still has a reputation for violent assaults, muggings, and property crime. The area where Tanner's death occurred is called Newton. Newton is not a safe area, like, at all. So, we are now going to get into the details of what we know happened the night that Tanner was murdered. We are going to start off by going through the basic details that we know, and then we will try to fill in the blanks later on in the episode. So we know that on August 10th, Tanner posted on his Instagram that he was at a beach in the Vancouver area. This was filmed during his first 10-day hit on the fiber optics drilling job. It was at this time that the family believes he first met his roommate and they became fast friends. We will just refer to his roommate as the roommate for the purpose of this episode. At the end of his first 10-day hit, Tanner returned home to Edmonton for his 19th birthday, which he celebrated with his family on August 14, 2017. Tanner returned back to Surrey, British Columbia on August 16, 2017 to start another 10-day hit. According to Kim, Tanner's mother, Tanner just worked as usual and nothing was different when he got back to Surrey. It should be mentioned here that Kim and Tanner often texted frequently throughout the day, whether he was in Edmonton or in Surrey. They just had one of those relationships where they communicated a lot. So at around 8 or 9 p.m. on August 19th, Tanner phoned his mom from a Boston pizza in Surrey, B.C. We believe that this was the Boston pizza at 7488 King George Boulevard. This is the closest Boston pizza to the rental house. Now, we are saying around 8 or 9 as a guess. There is a one-hour time difference between Alberta and B.C., and four years has passed, so details get foggy over time. Tanner told his mom that him and the roommate were going to have a beer and some pizza, 
and then head back to the rental house afterwards. Kim said, don't drive the company truck if you are drinking. And he said he was just going to have the one beer and head home. He went on to say, oh, mom, you worry so much. To which Kim responded, well, you're my only boy. I have to worry about you. Randy, Tanner's sister, recalls seeing a Snapchat from Tanner's account at around midnight. He appeared to be walking down the street with a group of people. It seemed like a pretty typical late-night Saturday night snap. The image was quick. It was at night. There were multiple people unfocused in the shot, no one specific. She described it as just Tanner and a group of people walking down the street. Then, at 5.30 a.m. on Sunday, August 20th, Surrey RCMP were alerted to a young man's body discovered in the laneway of a residential area on the 6900 block of 127A Street. This location was a six-minute drive from the rental house. Kim got up on the morning of August 20th and texted Tanner. He did not call back or text. Kim figured that maybe Tanner and the roommate had gotten into the beers back at the rental house after they left Boston Pizza. So she kept texting and texting. Then it got to be around 10 or 11 a.m. with no answer. Kim says that no matter where or what Tanner was doing, he would always text her back because he knows that she gets anxious about not texting back. But she still didn't get a response. Kim then called her husband Mike, who was working in Saskatchewan at the time, to tell them that she hadn't heard from Tanner. He said, calm down, you're just overreacting. So Kim waited until about noon, and then a person from the drilling company called and said, have you heard from Tanner? His roommate called and said he didn't come home last night, and that his roommate had put in a missing persons report. So Kim called the RCMP in Surrey and also filed a missing person report. By this time, the family had read news reports coming out of Surrey of an unidentified male found in an alley in Surrey. Kim states, I know now that they had already found Tanner. RCMP kept putting me on hold because I think the officer was checking what Tanner looked like. Then the officer would ask me more questions and put me on hold. And I think they put two and two together from finding Tanner and me calling, and they just told me they would put his case in the system and let me know if they find anything. I kept texting and calling Tanner all night with no response. We were all sitting around our house in Edmonton waiting for a call. Then, at about 3 a.m., Edmonton Police Service showed up and said that they had found him deceased. Law enforcement said that they went back to Tanner's house, took his toothbrush, and got DNA from that and matched it to Tanner. So it was at that point that Tanner's family and friends learned that Tanner had died 1,140 kilometers away from Edmonton in a laneway in Surrey, British Columbia. It had been 22 hours from the discovery of his body to his family being notified. But Kim said she knew something was wrong, very wrong, the moment that she got a call from his workplace. So it's clear from this story, as it has been told, that there are many details missing from the time that Tanner and the roommate left the Boston Pizza to the time that Tanner was discovered. We have been able to piece some of these details together. Some of these details have been filled in by the roommate, some of these details have come through the IHIT investigation, and some have come to light through the family's attempts to find the truth. We are now going to walk through the narrative that was originally told by the roommate. We will get a little more in-depth into his statements later on in the episode. The roommate states that they left Boston Pizza and went back to the rental house. He then states that Tanner walked to a nearby Chevron gas station to grab a pack of cigarettes. 
The roommate states that he went to bed, but he heard Tanner return. He states that he heard a car pull up and that Tanner was with that car and a group of strangers. Tanner then came into the rental house and said he was going out with this group of apparent strangers. This was completely out of character for Tanner. The roommate states that he awoke when he heard the car, he got out of bed and tried to convince Tanner to just stay home, but Tanner chose to go out. The roommate states that he did not see the car, nor did he see who was in the car, and he also states that he has no idea who these people might have been. The roommate states that Tanner then left with the car of strangers. The roommate states that he doesn't remember seeing the strangers, but that one of them may have been shorter than Tanner, with pointy ears with bald or short hair. The roommate states that he was later awakened by the sound of a car speeding down the street at 4.55 a.m. He states that he then texted Tanner at 5.01 a.m., but did not get a response. So just to recap here, the roommate states that they went to Boston Pizza, then home. Then Tanner chose to walk to get smokes. Then Tanner returned, possibly in a random car. Tanner entered the house. The roommate woke up and told Tanner not to go back out with the random car people. Tanner then chose to go out with apparent strangers. Then, at 5.01 a.m., the roommate texted Tanner. Tanner did not respond, and as we know, Tanner was discovered dead at around 5 a.m. For the Krupa family, the initial stories coming out were not much more helpful. Early in the investigation, a local Edmonton media outlet reported that Tanner was the victim of a hit-and-run. Another story came out that the RCMP had responded to an altercation and that they had discovered Tanner in the laneway. Since that time, new information has come to light. Apparently a person we will call driveway person had woken up early that morning to leave for work, as driveway person was backing their car out of the driveway into the laneway. They then saw Tanner leaned up against or near their fence. This person then called 911. Crime scene photos show a laneway behind a strip mall that borders on a residential neighborhood. There is an SUV in a gated driveway. We assume that this is driveway person's car. To the right of the driveway, you can see tarps covering Tanner's body. The cause of Tanner's death has never been released. So these are the broad strokes of Tanner's life and the events leading up to his death. Let's get into some more details after a quick break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 20 months ago on Sunday, August 20th, 2017, Tanner was taken away from me at a young age of 19. Since his murder, my family and I have been struggling to accept the fact that we can never see Tanner's beautiful smile again. He had a smile that could brighten anyone's day. Tanner had a big heart and would help anyone at any time. He worked hard as a directional driller and was a dedicated student with a passion for fitness and leading a healthy lifestyle. Never in a million years would I have thought my son would have been a victim of murder. Few can understand my grief, and no one should ever, ever endure the same heartache that I have experienced. Had he been alive, Tanner would be 21 years old, finishing his studies in fitness and making a positive impact in the lives of every person he met. Tanner was my only son, and life will never be the same without him. Tanner deserves justice. If you have any information about Tanner's death, no matter how small or insignificant you think it is, I'm pleading with you, please, with you as a mother who has lost her only precious son, to please come forward. Please contact IHIT or Crime Stoppers if you wish to remain anonymous. Any piece of information is so important. And we are back. That was the clip of Kim Krupa doing a media plea from Edmonton back in 2019. So we're going to walk through the limited details that have been released by the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team, or IHIT. So initially, it was clear that they believed that a group of young men were involved in Tanner's death. They believe that of that group, there are people who participated in killing Tanner and people who are witnesses to his murder. On August 21st, 2018, a year after his murder... I hit released a video of two cars driving through an intersection in Surrey. The video shows a white Toyota Corolla and then a white Honda Civic driving through the intersection of 68th Avenue at 132nd Street. The Corolla goes through first, followed by the Civic. The timestamp on this video is 3.30 a.m. This intersection is a four-minute drive from where Tanner was found and just a two-minute drive from the rental house. So based on what we can decipher from the video, it looks like the cars are heading towards the laneway where Tanner was found. Based on Google Maps and the position of the camera, the cars are heading west down 68th Avenue. If they continued down 68th and took a right on 128th, they would then arrive at the strip mall that Tanner was found behind. So this begs the question, was Tanner in one of those cars when they went through the intersection? Was he still alive? Was he injured? IHIT has not released any further information about the cars or what they think the cars mean. There have also been no details about the alleged altercation that the RCMP possibly responded to in the area. RCMP released the following statement on their YouTube channel along with the video of the two cars. During the course of the investigation, I had learned that a group of males was involved in the altercation that led to Tanner's death. Investigators believe some of the males in the group did not participate in the assault, but were bystanders with first-hand information about what happened to Tanner. 
This same group of males is believed to be associated to a white Toyota Corolla and a white Honda Civic that were captured on video surveillance. IHIT would like to speak with anyone that has any information about these vehicles. In April of 2019, Sergeant Frank Jang of IHIT traveled to Edmonton and spoke at a Krupa family event. He would state the following. So our investigators uh, have been diligently investigating Tanner's case from the beginning, back on August 20th. And recent information has risen that there are people that have intimate knowledge about what happened to Tanner uh, that have now moved to Edmonton. So it's very critical that we speak to them and those individuals know who they are. Uh, Please reach out to us. Uh, It's been, uh, you know, almost two years since uh, Tanner's passing. It's about time that we get some information that can really uh, lead to a breakthrough in his case. And Kim and Tanner's friends and family are eagerly, eagerly awaiting those answers. So we're working hard for them. Uh, So please, today, do the right thing. In that clip, it is very clear that IHIT believes that people who were there the night Tanner was murdered have now moved to Edmonton, and that those people know exactly what happened that night. Frank Jang states that there are people who have intimate knowledge, and he also states those individuals know who they are. This leads us to believe that there are multiple people involved and that those people have important information. So we now need to talk about two individuals. One may be involved, and one may be able to help in this investigation. Again, we need to be cognizant of the investigation so we will not be using names. So we need to talk about the roommate. We believe that he can still help this investigation. We spoke to multiple people close to this case, and they believe that the roommate has not been completely forthcoming about what occurred the night Tanner was murdered. The best guess is that the roommate and Tanner met one another on Tanner's first 10-day hit in Surrey as they were both going to work uh, on the same contract. Then they met again for the three days of Tanner's second hit, and they would be living together in this rental house. This means in all reality, the two men only knew one another for 13 days in person. So even if he texted with Tanner while Tanner was back in Edmonton, they would really have only known one another for about 20 days. We could even say a month if we're going to be generous. However, we have read messages that imply they knew each other for three months, but the family says that's not accurate. During the time they lived together, the roommate paints a pretty idyllic roommate relationship. The roommate has stated that he would cook Tanner breakfast every morning and make him protein shakes. They would also give Tanner advice on how to relate more to his father. He states that Tanner was his best friend. He states that Tanner made him want to be all that he could be and that Tanner brought purpose and excitement back into his life. In messages exchanged with people close to the case, the roommate has offered his own theory on what he thinks happened that night. He guesses that Tanner must have walked to the Chevron gas station located at 64th and King George Avenue and then found it was closed. He says that Tanner must have met some guys either in the parking lot of the Chevron or on the walk home and that those guys offered to buy him smokes, or take him to another gas station that was open. He goes on to guess that Tanner returned to the house to grab some beer from the fridge in order to go out and party with the strangers. Then, as we stated, the roommate says he was awakened by Tanner coming home with a group of people who were in a car. But he doesn't remember the car, or the people. He says that these guys came out of nowhere, and it was only a matter of minutes from him getting out of bed 
and Tanner coming into the house and then Tanner leaving. He said that he briefly argued with Tanner not to go out, but Tanner chose to get into the car. And after that, he doesn't know what happened. The roommate states that he wished he could have had more leverage on Tanner to convince him not to go out that night. The Krupa family do not believe that Tanner would take off in the middle of the night with a car full of strangers, and the Krupa family also believe that the roommate knows more than what he has said, and they have questioned some of his behavior after the fact. Someone close to the family told us the following, quote, We don't believe the roommate was involved, but we believe he was there and he possibly got away. He was there, at the scene. There's too many things he said after that makes us think he knows. We called him the day after, and he said he was in a hotel. He said he was scared of retaliation. Retaliation for what? Nobody even knows what happened. If he wasn't there, why would there be retaliation? He said some pretty strange things that make us think he knows something or he was there. We have a long list of stuff that doesn't make sense from him. We should mention the roommate has stated that he wishes he could go to a hypnotist to remember the details of the car that night. He says that he wished he had tried harder to stop Tanner from leaving that night, and he also acknowledges that he understands why Tanner's community have directed anger and distrust towards him. Okay, so let's move on to the other person that has been mentioned a lot. For the purposes of this episode, we will call him Badger, which is a reference for Breaking Bad fans. By way of an anonymous tip, Badger has come into this story. We believe that he was involved in this murder. And through his own words, he has inserted himself into the investigation. Badger has a pretty long record of court appearances, convictions, and incarcerations in Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia. According to research conducted by sources close to the case, since 2010, Badger has been convicted or charged with a myriad of crimes including armed robbery, unlawful confinement, domestic assault, assault with a weapon, breach of probation, and being unlawfully at large. He has also been the subject of multiple radius warrants in British Columbia as well as Canada-wide warrants. His longest sentence in incarceration was four years. So how does Badger fit into the story? Sources close to the case have obtained unverified testimony in which Badger references his own involvement in Tanner Krupa's death as well as other crimes. This testimony includes talking in specific terms about Tanner's cause of death, which has not been released to the media. Referencing other details about that night that have not been released to the public. He has also scoffed and laughed at the idea of Tanner's death being called a hit and run. Referencing that he is going to be in trouble for what happened to Tanner. Referencing killing other people he didn't like, quote, like I did Tanner. Upon a cursory search of other documents obtained by sources close to the case, Badger can be placed working for a company in Surrey, British Columbia in the summer of 2017 when Tanner was murdered. Other sources have indicated that Badger is now living in the Edmonton area. According to other resources, it would appear that Badger is attempting to now live a clean and sober lifestyle. For those familiar with 12-step recovery, step 9 is when you make amends for harm done while in addiction. Only time will tell what that means for Badger. As we stated, these resources are not 100% verified. This could be a young man just talking nonsense for street clout. But there is no other link between Tanner and Badger, so it's curious that Tanner's name was in Badger's mouth at all. 
All of this information is with the IHID investigators. We are now going to move on from this and talk more about the timeline, some new evidence, the crime, and some other details we have uncovered after a quick break. But someone needs to say, look, I know who did this. Call. We have all those resources on Tanner's page. Um, so, yeah, just to say something. Like, if you know, like, how could you hold that in all the time? Like, for four years. you known for four years that somebody killed somebody. And when it's multiple people, somebody always tells somebody. It's how it goes. And, like, if you know you... How would you want the, your family to feel if that happened to one of your siblings or your child or your best friend? It's just no one should have to go through what we went through. And I would never want that. If I knew something, I would tell somebody in a heartbeat. I don't know. I'm just so I'm honestly after four years and everything like time, time goes by doesn't mean you don't miss them it doesn't mean you're not angry but the more time goes by the more angry I am because this person is walking around or these people are walking around and knowing what they did and we don't even know if they've done it to other people and that's the scariest thing how do you know these people aren't killing other people's brothers and sons and or daughters like you don't know like how could you have that on your conscience knowing that somebody did that and you wouldn't say something that's just what I think. I couldn't live with that guilt of me knowing that somebody that I know killed somebody over whatever the reason was. We live in freaking Canada. Your life can't be that hard to whatever the reason was. It just doesn't make sense to me. Especially Tanner. Like, he was too good of a kid to die the way he did and not have justice for him like we will keep fighting until we find out what happens i mean if it takes 25 years then it takes 25 years but if we can get it faster i really hope we can get it faster and we are back that was a clip of randy one of tanner's older sisters in an interview we did last week we know sometimes that hearing the family's words mean much more than our voices. So let's go ahead and break things down a little bit more. Just as we were about to record this episode, we received some new information that will help the timeline. We have text messages that were sent from Tanner's phone to his girlfriend in Edmonton. We have verified these texts. We're going to read them for you now. Tanner, 2.09 a.m. I'm thinking about going for a walk. Do you think, roommate's name, will get worried? Tanner, 2.09 a.m. I think I'm going to do it. Girlfriend, 2.09 a.m. Where are you walking to? Tanner, 2.09 a.m. Chevron, girlfriend, 2.09 a.m. Is it not a little late? Tanner, 2.10 a.m. 2.10 here. Girlfriend, 2.10 a.m. Oh, it's 3.10 here. According to Tanner's girlfriend, she was out with friends that night. She has also never questioned the validity of these texts. From her perspective, it did seem like Tanner sending those texts. Upon reading these, it does indeed look like Tanner decided to walk to the Chevron at 64th and King George to get smokes. 
This corroborates the roommate's account that Tanner did go to the store. We now know that this was around 2.10 a.m. So based on the information we have, we have created a loose timeline of events. Here is our rough sketch for the night of Saturday, August 19th, and into the morning of Sunday, August 20th, 2017. Between 7 and 10 p.m., Tanner and the roommate are at Boston Pizza having some beer and pizza. Sometime after midnight, Tanner is seen on Snapchat walking with a group of people. It seems like he knows them as he is snapping the fun time he's having. At 2.10 a.m., Tanner texts that he is going to Chevron. This would have been about a 10-minute walk. So give or take 10 minutes, this likely places Tanner at the Chevron between 2.20 and 2.30 a.m. He would have arrived to find that this Chevron closed at 11.30. The roommate states that Tanner came back to the rental house in a car with a group of people. This would be a two-minute drive from the Chevron at 64th to the rental house. So giving some extra time for meeting the random car people, this could place Tanner back at the rental house anytime before 3 a.m. Then, at 3.30 a.m., surveillance cameras pick up the Civic and the Corolla driving towards the laneway where Tanner was found dead. Then, at 5 a.m., police respond to either an altercation or a 911 call about a body, and they then discover Tanner in the laneway just a five-minute drive from the rental house. So based on that midnight Snapchat, the text messages with his girlfriend, and the distance from where the cars were filmed to the body site, it could be hypothesized that whatever happened to Tanner happened in the narrow timeline between 2.45 a.m. and 3.45 a.m. We need to now talk about the site where Tanner was found. So there is a type of strip mall on 128th Street, this is more of a modern strip mall that is meant to blend into a residential area. It's not an old-fashioned, one-level 80s strip mall. The businesses in this strip mall are primarily Indian and South Asian food places. The strip mall is made up of two two-story buildings that look almost like houses with a parking lot in the front. The two buildings are split with a road known as 69A Avenue that leads to a perpendicular laneway behind the strip mall businesses. This laneway is lined with the back lane driveways from the houses on 127A Street. Most of these driveways have gates. Tanner's body was found in this laneway beside a fence belonging to one of the residences. On the other side of the laneway is the back of a restaurant called Kamal Sweets and Tandoori Hut. This location is a five-minute drive or two kilometers from the rental house and a three-minute drive or 1.2 kilometers from the intersection where the cars were caught on camera. In aerial crime scene photos, it appears that Tanner's body was covered with a tarp by investigators, and it appears that there are evidence markers leading up to his body, about 17 evidence markers by our count, as if he walked or was carried or dragged to where he was found. This could lead someone to speculate that Tanner was removed from a car and placed in the laneway up against the fence. Almost as if the car pulled up, Tanner was then removed from the back seat, carried a few feet, and left up against the fence. The car or cars would then leave through the laneway that splits the businesses in the strip mall. Then the cars would head back onto 128th Street to escape or south down the laneway and back out onto 68th Avenue. We say this because the laneway Tanner was found in is not a through road on its north end. So a word about the cars. 
I hit held onto the car video for a year before they released it. This means that they have some reason to believe that the cars are involved. Now, as we said, it appears the cars are caught on surveillance heading towards where Tanner was found. So if the cars were recorded at 3.30 a.m. heading towards where Tanner was found, that would put them at the laneway location at 3.33 a.m. Upon a quick look at the blurry intersection footage, it would appear that the white Civic is a four-door and the Corolla is also a four-door. If that is true, and our hypothesis is correct, then Tanner may have been in the backseat of either car. The Civic also appears to have some sort of wrap or decal design on the lower half of the doors. We should also mention that both of these vehicles look to be newer models of Corolla and Civic. I would say at least 2014 to 2017 models. There has also been speculation that Tanner was moved to the laneway location and that his actual murder occurred at a different location. We believe, based on some very specific information going around, that this location is within a 10-minute drive of the rental house, laneway, and intersection cameras. Yeah, we just haven't figured out the exact location yet. Uh, We cannot in good faith speak to this specific information at this time as we believe it could jeopardize the investigation. As we stated, we believe the entire transaction of this crime from start to finish took place within a very small area of Surrey and within a very narrow timeline. So we need to talk about the altercation call to 911 versus the driveway person calling in to 911 and which call leads to the discovery of Tanner. Right now, there are requests into the RCMP for the 911 calls for that night. It is quite possible that both calls occurred in the same time frame but we just don't know the details. We don't know if RCMP responded to the altercation call at all, and we don't know exactly where that altercation was in relation to where Tanner was found. We do know that based on the crime scene photos, that Tanner was at the end of someone's back driveway. So it makes sense that the driveway person call was the call that led to the RCMP finding Tanner. It is possible that the altercation call was made by a neighbor behind the strip mall. They perhaps heard the cars pull up to the strip mall to take Tanner out of the car. They may have heard the noise from the assailants yelling in a panic to remove Tanner from the car. Maybe that was the altercation they heard. And perhaps the RCMP did not respond right away. Then at 5 a.m., the driveway person called to report Tanner's body. This may have prompted a faster response from the RCMP than a Saturday night altercation call. But until more is revealed at trial, we won't know. So now we are going to walk through some theories. Again, we are not investigators, we are just podcasters. The first theory is that Tanner was murdered by strangers. If we go by the roommate recollection of events, Tanner went to the Chevron at uh, 64th and King George. Tanner then met with some strangers and decided to keep the party going that night. Tanner comes back to the house with the strangers, grabs some beers, and then goes out with the strangers. He is then dead within an hour of meeting them. In this theory, perhaps they attempted to rob Tanner, or perhaps they all went to score some weed or blow and things went wrong. Or maybe there was a disagreement that led to a fatal altercation. Yeah, Tanner is not a small guy, and he knew how to fight back. But here's the thing. If we look at Tanner's victimology, Tanner was not known to police. He wasn't a drug dealer. As far as we know, he didn't owe a large sum of money. Although he did have a good-paying job, he wasn't walking around with lots of cash, he didn't have a flashy car, and he wasn't rocking a bunch of bling. So 
robbery doesn't make sense. The family does not believe that Tanner would just go off in the middle of the night with strangers, which brings us to the next theory. Was Tanner familiar with the people who murdered him? In this theory, Tanner was with a group of people who knew him or the roommate. Then an altercation occurred. We have young men, alcohol, maybe some cocaine in a rougher area of town. Tensions can run high with that toxic mixture. It's hard to fathom that Tanner would not know these people. IHIT has stated that individuals involved have moved to the Edmonton area after the murder. Why would a murder suspect move to the city that their victim was from, unless they were also from there? It doesn't make any sense. If I committed a crime against someone from Edmonton and I was from Surrey, I would hide in Ontario or stay in Surrey. I wouldn't go to the city where the victim's family are outspoken in their fight to seek justice for their son. So based on that, what are the odds that two cars filled with young men in their early 20s from Edmonton driving in Surrey would not know one another, at least in some small way? There has to be a connection here. We just don't know what it is. We believe it is entirely possible that the beef these guys had with Tanner could be connected to the Edmonton area. Or maybe the roommate knew these people. If I was in a new town and my roommate vouched for someone, I would probably trust them. The after-midnight Snapchat also makes it seem that a group of folks were hanging out in a party-type, friendly way. So in this theory, Tanner willingly went with this group of people because he felt it was safe to do so. Then an altercation occurred and Tanner was murdered. This also explains why they moved his body. Crime studies have shown that strangers don't move or hide bodies. If a stranger kills someone, they tend to leave the body where the attack happened. However, if a murderer has a known relationship to the victim, they are more likely to attempt to conceal or move a body, thus removing their connection to the crime and giving them plausible deniability. It is hard to say what exactly happened to Tanner August 19th, 2017, but we do have a rough theory. It may just not be right. It's just a theory. Tanner went out for pizza and beer. He and a group of people he knew continued the party after Boston Pizza, either at the rental house or another location. We believe this would be three to five people, including Tanner. Some of them Tanner knew, some he did not. Then, at around 2 a.m., Tanner was back at the rental house. He went out to get some smokes. While out for smokes, he reconnected with people that he was out with earlier that night. Or he connected with people that he knew previously. Sometime between 3 a.m. and 3.20 a.m., the group got into some sort of altercation with Tanner at an unknown location. Things escalated and Tanner was fatally injured. Several people witnessed this crime. The group then attempted to distance themselves from the crime. They drove to the laneway passing the cameras on 68th and 132nd at 3.30 a.m. They then took a right up 128th Street and then left into the parking lot of the strip mall where Tanner was left in the laneway behind Kamal Suites and Tandoori Hut. They then drove down the laneway and back out onto 68th. Surrey Memorial Hospital is just an 11-minute drive or 7 kilometers from the laneway Tanner was left in. He could have lived. As we stated earlier, this took place in a small area of Surrey. Each location was only minutes apart. 
In this theory, the timeline of this crime from the group meeting until Tanner's death is around an hour. If it hasn't been obvious yet, we can say with absolute certainty that this was not a hit and run. We have not seen any evidence to indicate a hit and run. We know that iHit has a lot more information than they are releasing, and we believe that this is a very solvable case. We acknowledge that this is just our theory and we are open to being wrong. We are just trying our best to put out a theory that may help this investigation. Again, we are not experts. In the years since Tanner's death, his family has struggled with their loss. Kim told us she can't even go to Vancouver. She said, quote, I can't go there. We've booked twice now. After it happened, we booked a flight. We went to the airport and came home. And we booked a flight two years ago, and I just can't go there. We were supposed to go meet the investigators, but we just didn't go. They advised us after his death that there wasn't any use in going, so they just sent him home. They told us all we would be doing was walking in to identify him, and we didn't want to do that, so we didn't go. Because the case remains unsolved, she compares it to an open wound, stating, For us, it's an open wound. If Tanner had died in a car accident, you would understand and sort of move on. It's over, but this is no answers. He was 19 years old and trying to make his life better. It's senseless. Was it a gang initiation? Did they jump him for money? The family has started a charity foundation called Tanner's Totes, which hands out tote bags filled with helpful items to people experiencing homelessness in Edmonton. For them, it's a way to keep Tanner's memory and his spirit of generosity alive. You can find Tanner's Totes on Facebook. They have also donated a tree and a memorial bench in Tanner's name at Florence Hollick School, where Tanner and his friends used to hang out. Tanner has an army of friends, family, and community support. His funeral was attended by over 600 people. In June of 2021, a new campaign website and documentary was launched called What Happened to Tanner? When the documentary makers asked if Kim knew anyone who could speak about Tanner, she gave him a list of 100 people. This new campaign played in news outlets throughout Canada and has led to more leads and information coming in about that night. Here is a clip from the documentary. This clip contains Kim talking about the love she receives from Tanner's friends and also his close friends speaking about their feelings of loss. You know, I can't tell you what those kids, they don't know, but I can't tell you what they've done for me. They've given me so much love and, and just uh, to watch them grow because I miss out on my boy growing up. And, you know, they'll just, even if they come here and have supper and they sit on the couch and they joke around and they, they don't realize what they're doing. But for me, I sit back and I watch them just to hear their stories because I don't get that. I can't tell you what they mean to me, the world. The absolute world. They're a big part of our lives. If I could have anything, it would be to have one final moment with them, you know, be able to really just talk to him or even just him to see kind of who I am now, how I've grown up, you know, and say what I want to say to him, you know, see his face, look into his eyes for a final moment. Another conversation for sure. It's a checkup because I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing right or I want to make sure he's proud you know how he's feeling another conversation for sure we want to take a moment to address the persons involved with Tanner's death because we know you're listening 
If you were there that night, if you murdered Tanner, we want to ask you to do the right thing and to turn yourself in, because time is not on your side. Tanner's friends might have just been kids when you murdered him, but now they are all adults with money, means, and influence. As they get older, they grow stronger and more resourceful. They will have access to media, crowdfunding, lawyers, investigators, and the police. There will be other podcasts, media blitzes, documentaries. This is not going away. Tanner's community will continue to fight for justice and to support Mike, Kim, Randy, and Brittany. If you made a mistake, you can right that wrong. You can make amends. You can do your time. And you can stop inflicting pain on this family. The group of family are good people who did not deserve this. Tanner was just a young man with his whole life ahead of him. And you took that. So please, do the right thing. For our listeners who want to help, please share this episode. And please share the website, What Happened to Tanner? Jordan from the Nighttime Podcast is also covering this case this week. Please listen to and share his episode. But most importantly, if you have a tip, no matter how small, if you know these guys or know where they are, if they said something to you, or if you were there that night, please call IHIT or your local RCMP or police force, or to remain anonymous, call Crime Stoppers. Thank you for joining us on this episode of True North True Crime. We are grateful to Tanner's family and community for trusting us with this story. True North True Crime is an independent podcast. If you would like to donate to our podcast, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. Our producers on the podcast are Amy's Book Reviews, Alberta Bly, Cindy McDee, Blair Martin, Alyssa Santos, Anastasia, Ariel Elliott, Melanie E., Kelly Donahue, Carolyn Moore, Emily L., Jason Dallas, Jimmy Hankins, Tiffany C., Keith Robertson, Mari McKay, and the Missing and Unexplained podcast. We will be back soon with a new episode, so until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, gang. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.